Amen. Famous pastor and Bible teacher Matthew Henry was once robbed on his way to a meeting. The next day, he wrote of his experience in his diary. Let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Now, how's that for looking on the bright side? No matter how grim and gloomy your circumstances are today, if you look hard enough, you'll have something for which you can be thankful. It's been said, if we pause to think, we'll have cause to thank. In fact, if you're having trouble this morning thinking of reasons for which to be grateful, let me give you a few suggestions. If you can't pay your bills, just be thankful you're not one of your creditors. You can be thankful that you and God are the ones who have all the facts about yourself. That's for sure. Even though you haven't gotten all you want, you can at least be thankful you haven't gotten what you deserve. If you can't be thankful for what you've received, at least you can be thankful for what you've escaped. And lastly, we all can be thankful for many blinds. For if it weren't for many blinds, It'd be curtains for all of us. (laughs) There's more where that came from. Don't worry. Once a teacher asked her fourth grade students to name one thing for which they were thankful. Well, most of the kids listed their pets and their parents and their possessions. That's when one little boy responded, I'm thankful for my glasses because they keep me out of a lot of trouble. Well, the teacher was curious. She asked the little guy, how do your glasses keep you out of trouble? Well, that's when the little boy told her, they keep the boys from beating me up and the girls from kissing me. (laughs) We all should have an attitude of gratitude. And this is especially so for Americans. If you've traveled abroad at all, you realize that what most Americans scrape off their plate after the meal and send down the garbage disposal would be considered by three-fifths of the world a feast fit for the king. When President Coolidge issued his Thanksgiving Day proclamation, he said, we have been a most favored people. We ought to be a most thankful people. We live in a country that has been blessed by God. Americans have much for which to be thankful. And if that's true of Americans, it is especially true for those of us who are Christians. For of all people in the world, none should be more thankful than those of us who follow Jesus. Folks who have tasted God's wonderful grace. In fact, the term gratitude is from the root word grace. Gratitude is our response to amazing grace. As God has been gracious to us, we should be grateful to him. Think of all that God has done for us. He spared not his only son. He's given us life new and never-ending, full and free, holy and happy. Add to that a complete pardon, a new birth, abounding love, a steadying peace, 
the presence of his spirit, a supernatural strength, special callings and gifts, brothers and sisters in Christ, even a home in heaven. With all that God has done for us, at least we can do is to be thankful. Bible commentator William Hislop once wrote, To save such a sinner as I, God shall never hear the end of it. That should be our sentiment as well. You know, my mom, she believed in writing thank you notes. Whenever we got a gift, she expected us to sit down and to write a thank you. I hated it. I'd rather be outside playing football or riding my bike. Most of the time, I'd already said thanks anyway. I figured that was enough, but not for my mom. She believed you really weren't thankful unless you took the time and made the effort to express your gratitude in a tangible way. If I were to ask you, are you thankful for all that God has done for you? I'm sure 99% of you would nod and reply, of course I'm thankful. Who isn't thankful? God is good. But are we thankful enough to express our gratitude? I heard of the courageous but tragic story of Edward Spencer. Ned was a Bible college student strolling along the shores of Lake Michigan one day when he saw a boat full of passengers sinking in cold, choppy waters. With no consideration for his own safety, Ned bravely dove into the icy water. He swam out into the lake and back to the shore a total of 16 times, rescuing 17 people. After everyone was safe, Ned collapsed from exhaustion on the bank. He never fully recovered from his heroic ordeal. Complications set in that stunted his health and kept Ned from pursuing the full-time ministry for which he was studying. But to make matters worse, not one of those 17 people Ned Spencer plucked from Lake Michigan that day ever found him to say thanks. Not one. I'm sure that if you had tracked them all down, every person would have insisted that they were grateful. But no one bothered to express their gratitude to Ned. Hey, Jesus has made a far greater sacrifice for us than Ned did in rescuing the people that he pulled from the lake that day. Jesus has rescued us from the lake of fire. But have we taken the time and made the effort to say thanks? In Luke chapter 17, Jesus entered a certain village and he met 10 lepers crying out for mercy. We're told that he healed all 10 lepers and as soon as they were healed, they raced off to the priest to be pronounced clean and to begin their new lives. Only one of the 10 bothered to return and thank Jesus for the miracle that he had worked. That's when Jesus asked, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And today, millions the world over have been recipients of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus. But we can still hear him ask, Didn't I heal John and Jim? Didn't I save Andy and Ashley? Comfort Bob and Becky? But where are they? And here's my question for us today. Are we among the nine nowhere to be found? Or are you and I among the few who've taken the time to say thanks? 
On the bus one day, a man gave up his seat to a woman. His act of courtesy so shocked the lady, she fainted. Turns out she wasn't used to gracious men. When the lady was revived, she thanked the man for his kindness. Her gratitude so shocked him, he fainted. Neither the man nor the woman were used to gracious and grateful people. They were shocked by their expressions. And I wonder if God would be shocked if today you and I stopped complaining about our spouse and our job and our kids and our neighbors and simply took some time and made an effort to say thanks to God for all the many blessings he has lavished upon us. In Psalm 116, the psalmist tells us how to say thanks to God. In verse 12, he asks, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? In other words, what does God prefer in the way of a thank you? Does God want a thank you note? Or a card? Or some candy and flowers? I mean, how do you show the Almighty God that you're thankful for all of his benefits? If I'm going to put some time and make the effort to express my gratitude, then surely I want to express my gratitude in a way that will please the Lord. Well, this morning's text supplies us with three ways to say thanks to God. First, take up the cup of salvation. Second, call upon the name of the Lord. And third, pay your vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Let's take a closer look this morning at Psalm 116 and learn how to say thanks to God. To me, verse 13 offers a truly strange means of expressing thanks. The psalmist answers, I will take up the cup of salvation. But recall the question, what shall I render or give to God for all his benefits? Well, here he tells us to give by instructing us to take. I give to God by taking from him? It really does sound strange until I think it through. For what can I really give to God that he doesn't already possess? See, God is the one person on the earth who really does need nothing. You know, there are folks on my Christmas card list, or my Christmas gift list, who are difficult to buy for because they already own everything I can afford to give them. And this is true with God. In Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, Paul said to the Athenians, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. You see, the one true God is in need of nada. He possesses all things. Psalm 50 says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That means our scrawny sacrifices don't impress him. I was at a Christmas party once where someone suggested that we go around the room and we share what we would be giving to God that year for Christmas. Well, most of us talked about giving God more of our time or more energy or more of our efforts or more money. Then it came my friend's turn. He shocked a group by announcing that he had nothing to give to God. When someone asked him why, he said, 
Because God already owns everything I've got. Realize true gratitude begins with a frustration. God has given us so much, yet there's nothing that we can really give to him. All we can do is take what he's given and allow it to accomplish its intended purpose in our lives. We thank God for his blessings when we enjoy them to the fullest. If you want to say thanks to God, then take up the goblet of grace, grab hold of the mug of mercy, put it to your lips, and take a deep, long drink. The cup of salvation brims with blessing. It's heavy with heaven. David was speaking of this cup in the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Savor every single drop of God's blessing. If you want to say thanks to God, you do so by taking advantage of his many and marvelous gifts. Think of it. God journeyed from the heights of heaven to the depths of earth. Then from the crib to the cross. Then from a cold, dark tomb to a throne in heaven just to bring us blessings untold. The least we can do is open up our hearts and receive his goodness toward us. Try to compensate God for his gifts and you only devalue them. If you could earn God's blessing, it would cheapen the price God paid to acquire them. As the poet put it, the best return for one like me, so wretched to the core, it's from God's gifts to draw a plea and ask him still for more. Hey, if you want to thank God for his grace, then ask him for more. Turn up the cup of salvation and keep on drinking. My grandma was a southern gourmet. Grandma Adams could whip up a scrumptious meal in the blink of an eye. Black-eyed peas, cornbread, hot buttered grits, collard greens, fried okra, biscuits and gravy, fried chicken, all the extras. It was amazing. Now, if you're not a native southerner, that might not impress you. But trust me, if you could have sampled my grandma's cooking, you'd be an admirer. She was amazing. Whenever a visitor came to her house, no matter the time of day, she would start dinner. And she would invite you to her table. And before you knew it, she had served up a banquet fit for a king. And she'd take nothing for it. In fact, if you tried to pay her, she'd just be insulted. The only way you could say thanks to my grandma was to clean your plate. My grandma's reward for cooking was the joy of seeing someone scarf up her vittles and come roaring back for more. The greatest insult was for you to nibble a bit and then push your plate aside as if you didn't like it. And that's the way it is with God's blessing. When we clean our plate and ask for more, we say thanks. But when we don't have time to eat or if we fill up on other stuff, we break God's heart. We insult God when we consume junk food or when we feed on the garbage this world offers and don't bring our appetites to his table. Here's a great quote for you. This is the height of all madness. This is the lowest depth of all sin. 
God spares not his own son, and we stand with our hands folded on our chest. You say thanks to God by opening up your hands and grabbing hold of every single blessing he bestows. Don't waste God's grace. Turn up the cup of salvation and savor every single drop. Well, here's a second way to say thanks to God. Notice again verse 13. We're told to call upon the name of the Lord. When trouble strikes, when a need arises, we say thanks to God by calling on Him for help. And again, this sounds like a selfish way to express our thanks. You'd think we do for God rather than ask God to do for us. But again, what can we really do for God that He can't do a better job of Himself? You know, when a dad involves his toddler in a project, he's not doing it because he needs a kid's help. To the contrary, if anything, the child's only going to slow him down and get in his way. Dad gets his toddler to help him because he enjoys the child's company or he wants to teach him how to do a task or how to perform a skill. And this is why God involves us in his work. God doesn't need you and me. We serve God. When we serve God, we're not doing God a favor. He's doing us a favor by allowing us. We say thanks to God, not by helping Him, but by asking for His help. When my kids were younger and got into trouble, they didn't search the yellow pages for the nearest PhD. They didn't canvas the university for an expert in the field. They didn't even dial 911. When they had a problem, they called D. A-D. They ran to dad and they expected me to take over the situation and to salvage a solution. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. Nothing flatters a father more than when his kids turn instinctively to him for help. And the same is true with God. If you really want to say thanks to God, make him your first retreat in times of trouble, not your last resort. Let me give you another illustration. What if you find an automobile mechanic who does good work? He's fair. He's honest. He's efficient. How do you say thanks to that mechanic? Send him a thank you note? A pick-me-up bouquet? No way. Try that with a macho mechanic and he might just punch you in the nose. No, what that mechanic wants most is your return business. So that the next time your car breaks down, if you look up another mechanic, he'll assume you weren't satisfied with his service. But if he's the first person you call with your car, that mechanic knows you appreciate his work. When you're sick, what's your first reaction? Take an aspirin? Call the doctor? Or do you pray? Do you run to God for his intervention? When you're lonely, What's your first response? Call a friend? Take in a movie? Visit a bar? Or do you open your Bible and renew your fellowship with God? When business dips, what's your first remedy? Increase marketing? Downsize the labor force? Hire a consultant? Or do you ask God for his blessing? And when you're tired and weary, where do you seek rest? Do you turn on the TV and veg out? Or plan a vacation? Or do you ask for God's peace? 
You see, the psalmist tells us that we say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. For many years, while my kids worked their way through school, I proofread their research papers. First it was Natalie, then it was Nick, then it was Mac. Well, the kids figured out that it was nice to have an author in the family who could review their papers before they turned them in. And they would email me their paper at 10 o'clock the night before the assignment was due the next day. And I would usually mumble something like, what do these kids expect me to do? They expect me to drop whatever I'm doing just to help them out at a moment's notice. Now, that's what I would say. But that's not really how I felt. I was glad they wanted my help. In fact, if they had ever stopped, I would have been insulted. The only time reviewing their paper ever bothered me is when we got it back from the teacher with a grade of C. How dare her give me a C on this paper? I'd get angry at the teacher. I didn't deserve a C. But when my kids ran to me for help, I felt loved and trusted and appreciated. I'm glad they wanted my input. And this is how God feels when we call on him. Did you hear about the couple who got married at a travel agency? That's right. As it turns out, she was looking for a getaway, and he was her last resort. Is the Lord your last resort or your first retreat? You say thanks to God by calling on the name of the Lord. And then the third way the psalmist tells us that we can say thanks to God is to pay our vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You see, the writer of Psalm 116 was so thankful to God that he would take his little lamb, the pick of the litter, and he would parade his sacrifice through the streets of Jerusalem without regards to the opinions of other people, simply overwhelmed with his own love and enthusiasm for God, the psalmist would go up to the temple and offer his sacrifice openly and publicly before the community. And if we're truly thankful to God, we also will go public with our praise. You know, Jesus told us that when we pray, we should go into our closet and close the door behind us Prayer is a private act between God and us. But when we praise God, we should roll down the windows and let the whole world hear. Whisper your prayers, but shout out your praise so the world can chime in. Amen. Psalm 107 verse 2 says it clearly. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We live in a day when every blasphemous, godless, evil imaginable gets drug out into the light of day, gets paraded across our TV screens. People flaunt their sacrilege, spew their irreverence. There's no shame anymore. It's about time we who are grateful to God grew just as bold and just as vocal. Let's stop acting as if we're ashamed of God. Let's go out into the marketplace and let the world know that any success we achieve is due to the blessing of God. Praise and thanksgiving need to go public. You know, I've never known much about cars. While other boys had their head under the hood tinkering with the engine, I was off somewhere dribbling a basketball. I know where to insert the key, 
and how to push the gas pedal. I'm familiar with those things, but that's about the extent of my mechanical prowess. When it comes to automobiles, I'm ignorant. But understand a vital point. Even though I might be ignorant, that doesn't mean I want to admit it. Engines in Greece are macho stuff. A man should know his way around the engine block. No self-respecting man wants to be known as mechanically illiterate. I'll never forget the day I was exposed and humiliated for all the world to see. Right after Kathy and I got married, we made a trip to North Lake Mall. And we were just about to leave when the car wouldn't start. And so I popped the hood. No, don't misunderstand. That didn't mean I was going to do anything. I just heard that the first thing you do whenever you got engine problems is you pop the hood. But then something horrible happened. Two guys started walking over to me. I couldn't let them know how inept I was. And so I started fiddling around, pretending that I knew what I was doing. I had a screwdriver in my hand. I started whacking stuff, you know. I didn't know what it was, but I'm just whacking stuff. I didn't think it could get any worse, but then it did. My sweet little newlywed wife gets out of the car, walks around under the hood, and right in front of these two grown men, she takes the screwdriver from me and decides to play Mrs. Goodwrench. Right there in broad daylight, she proceeds to fix the car all by herself. I was humiliated. My wife knew more about cars than I did. And two other men now had the evidence. See, I should have been thankful. In fact, later that night, I thanked Kathy privately. But publicly, in that moment, I was so embarrassed. And you see, this is the problem some people have in their relationship with God. Oh, privately, they'll thank God. But publicly, they would rather everyone think that they were able to do it themselves. See, humans don't like broadcasting to others their ineptitude and their dependence. Why is that? Why is it so hard for us to admit our weaknesses? None of us are truly independent and self-sufficient people. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. In fact, you were in debt the moment you entered the world. On the day you were born, you already owed another person nine months room and board. Psalm 100 verse 3 tells us that we all owe God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves We depend on God for the air we breathe and for our next breath. Why is it so hard to be honest about our dependence on God and go public with our praise? I'll tell you the problem. It's pride. It's pride. Pride slays thanksgiving. A proud person hates to say thanks. If he does, it shatters the illusion that he or she is in control. Gratitude is the admission that I have a need that I can't meet. And we've all got those needs. So who's fooling who? It's so freeing to just drop the facade and be thankful. The tribes of East Africa 
They have unusual ways to say thank you. The Maasai tribe of Kenya, they bow their heads to the ground and they say, my head is in the dirt. Members from a neighboring tribe, they sit on the ground for a long time before the hut of the person before whom they're thankful. They say, I sit on the ground before you. See, these Africans understand a truth that makes gratitude so difficult for us. They realize that true thanksgiving is first and foremost an act of humility. The psalmist contends that we're not really grateful to God unless we're willing to lay aside our pride and go public with our praise. True thanksgiving won't be intimidated by the sneers and slights and scowls of other people. It'll rise up even when looked down on. Robert Walpole was Britain's first prime minister, but his administration failed because he was betrayed by former friends who voted him out of office. Walpole said in the House of Commons the day its members cast the vote to bring down his government. One by one, as his opponents stepped up to cast their votes, as each man passed, Walpole made comments to the reporters around him. He said, that fellow there, I saved him from the gallows. And that one over there, I saved him from starvation. And I promoted his son to an office in my government. And on and on he went with similar stories. You see, each parliament member who voted against Walpole that day had a reason for which they could be thankful to him. But rather than express their gratitude, they buckled under to the political pressures that were being applied. Those parliament members lacked the courage to say thanks. And when it comes to our relationship with God, don't ever let it be said of you that you buckled under to the pressure of the office politics or the company culture. And you cowered away from giving your great God the credit he deserves. Sometimes it takes guts to show gratitude. Don't just praise God in the safety of our church or in the quiet of your home. Be courageous and go public with your thanksgiving and praise. Let me close this morning with the story of a man who found the barn where Satan stored his seeds. He found there seeds of discouragement and doubt and fear and lust and greed and guilt. And it frightened this man to hear Satan boast of how his seeds would take root and grow in most any type of soil. The man questioned him, are you sure they'll grow in any soil? Satan had to backtrack. He reluctantly admitted, well, there is one place I can never get my seeds to grow, and that's in the heart of a grateful person. Oh, how we need to be thankful people. And how do you say thanks to God for all his many benefits towards you? The psalmist speaks of three ways. Take up the cup of salvation. Enjoy every single blessing that the blood of Jesus has purchased for you. Call upon the name of the Lord. In times of trouble, run to your heavenly Father for help. And pay your vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. By all means, go public with your praise. And do it in Jesus' name.
Amen.